Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with me, Luke Tullock. Uh, first things first, membership site, check it out. It's called Fitness Fundamentals. I'm going to talk today about learning and why it's important for both developing your skills and your lifting in the gym, as well as just generally getting better at whatever it is you want to do. And I go much more in depth on this in the Fitness Fundamentals membership site in September. I released a 45 minute video on this and it's going to go more in depth. I also covered some cognition and nutrition stuff, which is also interesting because it pertains to this sort of thing as well, where you can learn a bit more about neuroscience, how the brain works and how our nutrition influences it. So if you'd like to check it out, you could visit www.lukatullock.com membership. I also actually started writing blog posts this week. <laughs> so on top of a podcast, uh, a monthly membership site, mentoring, and everything else that I'm doing, seminars, etc. I'm now writing blog posts as well. So you can check that out at lukatalik.com slash blog, nice and easy. All right, so we will get into it today. Again, I'm gonna talk about learning and some tips that you can take away for learning and why it's important. So a little about learning to start with. Essentially what's happening when we learn is that we have brain cells firing in concert with each other in certain patterns. So these are called neurons. There are a lot of different brain cells. We have other types of cells called glial cells and other types that are that exist within the nervous system. But the main ones we're going to talk about are the neurons, which are the ones that actually send the electrical signals. They fire in certain patterns. And when particular unique patterns line up, light up together, we tend to get a recall of memory. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to encode information and save it to these neural networks, these neural patterns within the brain. This comes into the idea of short-term and long-term memory. And although it's a really basic analogy, you can sort of draw a line towards computing and how your RAM or your random access memory, that sort of short-term memory, can be consolidated into your hard drive, your long-term memory for recall at any particular point. And that's a similar sort of thing that we try and do. But I suppose the key point about this is because we are changing the way that neurons fire together, it means that we're actually changing the physical dimensions of the brain by doing that. So we're changing your brain physically when we're forming memories and when we're developing skills. And I like to think of skills as memories as well, because a lot of the processes that go into developing skills is essentially the same thing that happens when you form a long-term memory. The reason why is because we're trying to get certain neurons to fire together and the more often they fire together, the faster those networks form and the easier they can light up again. And that's when you're having sort of a reflex or something you don't really need to think about too much, something that you've repeated often enough that it is just coming to you naturally without too much thinking. It's just because those neurons have fired together in a particular pattern often enough that it's really easy to light that up again. It's sort of a, almost a path of least resistance. Now, I am simplifying this a lot. This is not exactly how it works, but it is helpful to try and visualize things this way. Of course, neuroscience and learning is a very complex topic, so it pays to simplify it a little bit just so that we can wrap our heads around it. So I have a big focus on learning because that's something that I'm all about. I'm all about learning about different topics, particularly health and fitness related stuff. But one of the important aspects of learning, as I mentioned, is skill acquisition. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to solve a problem with movement. And when we solve a problem on autopilot, that becomes a habit and it becomes a sort of automated 
function of the brain. And the important part about that is that it, it frees up cognitive bandwidth to focus on other stuff. So if you master a particular aspect of a movement, it allows you to free up cognitive bandwidth to play your sport better, to focus on maybe other parts of a movement you're not so good at, that sort of thing. And that makes it much easier to form more complex types of movement and to get better at movement in general. It also allows us to inhabit these tiers and levels of understanding. So when you master basics, it allows higher order thinking. If you think about, for example, playing a musical instrument or learning a language, sometimes we're just focused on getting the mechanics of getting our fingers in the right position to play the keyboard or play the guitar. And that allows no space, no cognitive bandwidth to think about improvising. When we're learning a language and we're just trying to wrap our heads around how to pronounce some basic syllables or some, you know, a lot of processing going into trying to decipher on the fly what everything means versus actually thinking in that language and improvising and have a smooth, flowing, diverse conversation. That's the difference. And so forming these neural networks and acquiring those skills allow us to progress in our level of understanding. And I think that can be applied to movement as well. It's kind of an aggregation of marginal gains in a sense. You have to just constantly light those things up so that we get that habit, that solving a problem on autopilot concept of firing. And over time, your results will be magnified and it will add up. So the key lesson here is that to develop that solving a problem on autopilot approach in skill acquisition, you need to do a little bit every day. You need those neural networks to fire together often enough so that you can start to compound on that and get better and better over time. Okay, so in the actual process of learning what's happening, the idea of a long-term versus a short-term or working memory is still the current working concept of how memory works. So we have our working memory, which is your current processing. Currently, the words I've just said to you are in your working memory. It's the things that you're holding in your mind. We can only hold a certain number of chunks of information. People often say something like four to six different chunks of information can be held in your working memory at one point. And to try and keep it there, sometimes we need to constantly repeat that information in our head to hold it in our working memory. So think about when you try and remember a phone number, that's a specific amount of information that's it's sort of hard to hold more than that in your head at one time. And you often will repeat it to yourself so that you don't forget it in between writing it down, for example. But putting that information into your long-term memory requires at least a few repetitions for most people. The capacity of the long-term memory is massive. So it's potentially, you know, billions or trillions of items. It's huge, which actually means that it's kind of hard to find things sometimes because there are so many different connections. If we think about the number of neurons we have in our brains, and that they can all potentially connect to each other in some way, it means that the amount of connections we can have number in the trillions. And especially if you haven't lit up a certain neural pattern very much in the past, or if you haven't done it for a while, if you haven't used it recently, it means that this huge capacity of the long-term memory with potentially billions or trillions of items actually makes it quite hard to find things sometimes. But we can use some strategies to help solidify those patterns and to get them firing regularly to help them stick into the long-term memory and find help find them easier in the future. One of the best ways of doing this is using a tactic of spaced repetition. It can help move things from the working memory into the long-term memory. 
So all we're trying to do here is we're trying to repeat what we're attempting to learn over the space of several days. So you might not see that information for some time after your initial exposure for a few days, for example, but then you revisit it again, and then you might wait another few days and then revisit that again. And this works much better than trying to repeat something really often in a short space of time. So say in one day, if you're trying to study for something or if you're trying to learn something, to repeat that very often in the course of one day doesn't work quite as well as doing briefer exposures to that information or that skill and spacing it out over a week or two weeks. Why? Because it gives those synaptic connections time to form and to strengthen. When we move away from something we're trying to learn, the brain continues to change structure and it continues to form those neural networks. It's, it's physically changing and connecting different brain cells together. And it needs time to do that. So we can't force it to happen within one day. We need to give it some space to do that. But we also need to fire those patterns often enough that they actually form and solidify, which means that we need to use this spaced repetition concept uh, which combines the best of those both worlds. So what that requires is something called deliberate practice. We should aim for deliberate practice when we're trying to improve a skill, whether that's a motor skill like a, a lift or a particular movement pattern or a skill like playing an instrument or learning a language or learning any of the health and fitness information that we get exposed to. Basically, what it means is that you're going over stuff that you already know, but you're deliberately working on things that you find difficult. And I think it's important that we should mention at this point that attitude with learning is very important because the most learning takes place when you're actually challenging yourself. There's something called the illusion of competence where you constantly go over information that you actually know very well and you think that you're learning a lot or that you are very knowledgeable, but in fact, you're just going over stuff that's already in there that's easily accessible to you. What you really need to do is not overdevelop certain ideas. You need to be able to challenge yourself and lean into the areas that you find difficult. So this forms part of deliberate practice where you're identifying those areas and you're actually making an effort to work hard on those. And it doesn't mean you need to bash your head against the wall for a long period of time. I'm going to go into the optimal amount of time spent on studying or practicing something in a second. But it does mean that you need to de you know, develop those areas as much as you can. Now, that form of learning where you're going over something that you already know quite well can be useful in some cases. Like if you're an actor or a musician and you need to basically know that inside out and perform it absolutely perfectly, that's fine. But most people tend to focus on overlearning easy material that gives them this illusion of competence that then develops. And it's not actually helpful for most people. Moving into a little bit about muscle memory, the visual and spatial memory systems are really important for memory formation. So um, where things are and how they look is sometimes how I refer to this visual and spatial memory systems. And you see this quite a lot for example, in some experiments where they ask people to memorize directions. If you try and memorize directions without gesturing to yourself, it's actually quite difficult. Most people will use some kind of hand motions or they'll move their body around when they're trying to memorize and then recall directions. And so moving your body around in space is actually really tied to the formation of those synaptic connections in the brain and those neural networks. 
it's quite an interesting phenomenon and you'll find that visualizing things or moving in a certain way can actually help to reinforce concepts in your head. Now that doesn't necessarily mean if you're learning something like neuroscience and you're studying that, that you should necessarily be gesturing a whole bunch when you're doing it. But it does mean that there's quite an intricate connection between movement and the visual and spatial memory uh, systems and how we move and how we actually exercise. So any movement that we do in the gym, for example, or if you dance or if you play a sport, has this component of physical movement that is a skill. And the same systems that are used for learning purely theoretical information and executing a skill are quite important. We even know that visualizing a lift over and over again can help reinforce some of the neural connections made when you're physically performing a skill too. So that's something to keep in mind throughout this discussion that the concepts that apply to learning theoretical information also apply to getting better physically at skills, at lifting, at uh, the mechanics of playing an instrument, all those kind of things. Okay, so we've established that repetition is pretty important and spacing out over several days in particular is quite important too. And I think that that has a corollary, it has a relationship to the training split and frequencies at which we train. If you're trying to learn something that's quite a complex movement, then I think having more frequent exposures to it is quite a good idea. Now, that kind of depends to the degree to which you've mastered a movement. It depends on the type of movement. Like I'm not talking about something like a bicep curl here. I'm not even necessarily talking about something like a squat or a deadlift. For some people that may be uh, quite a technically challenging lift. For other people, it's gonna be pretty simple and they're gonna get pretty good at it quite quickly. And then it's just a matter of the actual strength output that's gonna limit them on that exercise. But if you are trying to make technique tweaks or if you're doing more complex movement patterns like you know, uh, more athletic movements, running, jumping, uh, Olympic style, weightlifting, that kind of thing, then the repetition and the space between those repetitions that I spoke about before is actually going to be quite a useful tool in how quickly you develop those skills and move into a position of being unconsciously competent about these things where you can perform these movements without thinking about them too much. It's important that you realize that memories are not actually fixed. Every time we bring a memory out of our long-term memory, we place it into our working memory. And that's how we recall it. And every time that happens, we alter the memory slightly before it is encoded and stored again. This means that memories aren't fixed. They're really dynamic and they're changeable. So every time you perform a movement, it's actually altered slightly. And if you're doing, say, 25 reps of a movement, that's 25 opportunities to alter and tinker with and sort of fix up or clean up that movement before storing it again into your long-term memory. We call this reconsolidation, and it's one of the reasons why witness testimony is actually really unreliable in the case of like a murder or something like that in a court, especially as time goes on, because the more often a witness recalls that particular event, the more often it comes into the working memory, it gets altered and perhaps influenced by other factors like a cross-examiner or something like that. And then it's stored again and then brought to the front, altered, stored again, brought to the front, altered, stored again. And eventually it may look nothing like the original memory. So quite an interesting phenomenon there, but it's something that we can actually use ourselves when we are trying to perfect our movement patterns. 
All right, now in my lecture in the fitness fundamentals, I go into this a lot more and how things actually work, but I'm gonna basically keep this podcast more accessible and shorter, briefer, so that we can get through it. And I'm gonna give you a bit of a summary of training tips for skill acquisition. And also these apply to trying to acquire knowledge if you're studying something, if you're trying to learn something. The first and probably the most important point is that you want to expose yourself to this information for shorter periods of time interspersed with breaks. Now I use the analogy here of brushing your teeth. Most people are not stupid and they brush their teeth daily and often they do it twice daily for one to two minutes. You don't brush your teeth for an entire day the night before you go and see the dentist, do you? You don't start brushing your teeth two weeks before for an hour a day to try and get accumulate all of the time you should have spent brushing your teeth over the last six months before you go and see the dentist. So why do we do that before we go in for a test? It's really common for university students or high school students, for example, to cram the week or two or the night before a test, and it doesn't work very well. What we need is to brush our teeth every day for a short period of time. So it's much better to get exposed to information or a a skill five to 10 minutes a day, every single day, than to do one hour once a week, far better. What I usually advocate is to go for 20 to 30 minutes at a time. So 20 to 30 minutes of repeated sessions will work best for learning both skills and for learning information. Generally, what you would do then is either have a break for a certain amount of time, it might be five minutes, it might be a similar amount of time, another 20 to 30 minutes before going into that information again, or you just kind of put your tools down for the day and then come back at it again the next day. So shorter periods of time interspersed with breaks, but much higher frequency. I don't think trying to learn anything one or two days a week is very effective. It will still work. It's much, much less effective. It's like trying to brush your teeth once or twice a week. The second tip is to set a routine. And the routine includes the sort of time of day, but it also includes the environment. So this creates a habit, it primes your brain for learning. In the same way that we recommend for sleep, for example, that you don't use your bed for anything other than sex and sleeping, you're trying to associate a particular area or a particular environment with a particular type of behavior. And so if you create a habit that, you know, mid-morning in a particular room uh, with a particular sort of set of equipment is when you're going to do your learning time, then that helps quite a lot. It creates a habit and it primes for learning. So setting a routine is good. And like I said, you want to be doing it every day if possible, certainly several times a week. And so having a routine so that you actually get it done is really helpful. The third thing is to create a clear goal for the study session. So you want to pick one main aspect that you want to work on per session. And remember, this is deliberate practice. You're trying to pick the things that you're not that great at yet, and you're trying to get better at those. Now, it's still worth going over some of the information that you've learned before. Remember, repeated exposure is really good. So what I'll often do is I'll spend the first five minutes of my study session going over information that I learned a couple of days ago and just reviewing it. And then I'll get into my main study session for that day, which might be you know, another 20 minutes, and then I'll have a break and perhaps start again, perhaps call it there for the day. But you should have a clear goal for your training session. You should have a clear goal for your study session. Tip number four 
is to visualize and use imagery. This is particularly helpful for physical skills. So going over movements mentally can help solidify the neural networks, even if you don't have a bar in front of you, even if you don't have your musical instrument in front of you or whatever it is that you're trying to learn. Going over the movements mentally can help solidify those neural networks and it's not quite as good as actually performing the movement itself, but it does help. Fifth tip, repetition and practice is absolutely vital. You need to revisit movements or information periodically. Information is definitely learned better when it's revisited several days after the initial exposure, so you always need to go back and revisit. And using my little tip of starting off your session, say your warm-up for a training session might be doing a drill that you learned a few days ago. It might be the first five minutes of your study session going over stuff you already know uh, or that you learned a few days ago just to refresh it and revise it and then going into your main part of the study session. The next tip is to make sure your environment is not distracting and it's actually set up for you to learn. So this should go without saying, but phone on silent or just move it away from you as much as possible. No social media open in the background, no one interrupting you. You need to have all of your cognitive focus on the task in front of you. So when we spoke about short-term memory being only having a certain number of chunks that you can actually hold in your working memory at a certain amount of time, this is really important. If you've got something else distracting you, it's taking up those chunks that you're then trying to consolidate information from into your long-term memory. So the research will actually indicate something like using music while you're studying is not ideal for learning because you are occupying part of your working memory while you're trying to put other information in there. So it's not ideal. Um, I prefer to have a silent learning environment if you don't have that and you do want to use music, I don't recommend it, but please at least have something without lyrics that you're not going to sort of follow along with and be distracted by. And again, this just primes your learning pathways by having the right environment and having a routine set up. Next tip is to ensure good quality sleep, uh, obviously for a variety of reasons, but in the context of learning, a lot of our memory consolidation actually happens when you sleep. It's really highly dependent on sleep. And this is another reason why pulling an all-nighter or studying very late uh, the several nights or the night before an exam is a terrible, terrible idea. Often what happens is that we focus very hard on the information and then we go away. And like I mentioned before, the neural networks start to form. Your brain physically changes. The connections happen. And it's actually what happens during when you sleep is that those neural networks will fire in the correct pathway over and over again to try and solidify it while we sleep. So you often find, and I find this when I play guitar, if I'm really struggling with a certain piece, I might practice it for a while and I sort of hit a bit of a plateau with whether I'm improving or not. I go to bed overnight and I wake up in the morning and I try it again and suddenly I'm better at it. And so that memory consolidation of skill and also just memorizing the piece itself is highly dependent on sleep. So that's very important. The next tip is tied with good quality sleep and that is to exercise regularly. The reason why is because it helps support neuronal growth. We actually have neurons dying every single day. And what we want is we want more differentiation and growth of new neurons to help support memory formation. So doing any form of exercise will help support that. The literature is particularly uh, focused on aerobic exercise, but any type of exercise will help. And that's mediated by some of the inflammatory signaling molecules that are produced during exercise. And one in particular is BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and that potentially can help new neuronal uh, growth in the brain, or at least to help prevent neuronal death. 
Next tip is to ensure you get enough downtime. Stress is not ideal for learning. So if you're really stressed, you're not gonna learn very well. So enjoying some hobbies, enjoying some downtime, not putting too much pressure on yourself by like having only two weeks to study for an exam, uh, or like a huge exam or something like that is really important. And lastly, enjoy the challenge of learning. Your attitude towards learning is super, super important. And when you're feeling challenged is when you truly learn. I get really frustrated often because I find personal trainers in particular say they want to learn, but they often don't. When it comes down to like learning some basic chemistry or some basic biology, they just switch off. They're not even willing to try. And I understand it's difficult. I understand it's uh, something that is hard and it's not necessarily something that a lot of people are great at. A lot of people that get into this field are not necessarily massively academic. And that's fair enough. That's fine. Not everybody has to be, but it's really important that you take the right attitude into learning. Being challenged is when you truly learn and it is a game. It's a long-term game. It's going to take those incremental improvements every day. And like I said, if you're just getting that incremental exposure over time, it really compounds. It's like compound interest. And then you get six months down the track and you think, holy cow, I'm so much further ahead than I was six months ago. And that continues to happen. And I've really personally reaped the benefits of that because I learned to do this stuff when I was going back to university in 2010, I think it was, 2011. And, you know, I started this habit of daily learning and it's taken me really far. It's actually defined my career so far. So definitely something that I recommend for everybody. Very, very important. Okay, that's it for the podcast now. I'm going to cut it there before we get to half an hour. Uh, like I said, I go into that a bit more depth in the fundamentals course. There's tons of other stuff in there uh, on the membership site. So if you want to check it out, there is a free trial. Again, luketeluk.com slash membership. And if you liked the episode, please rate it. Please subscribe it, share it with somebody. I would really, really appreciate that. The more information we get out to people like yourself, the better it's going to be for everybody. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.